All right, everybody, welcome back in to the Stewcast. It's time to uh, talk a little ponies running in circles uh, and you throwing money at them. Coming up on the show, Craig Milkowski from Timeform US. He's going to be uh, joining us, talking some uh, current news, and, and we'll break down a couple races, uh, get his opinions. Um, but we start with part two of our great conversation, part one earlier this week uh, on the show with Rico Beard. Uh, Mike Maloney, he is back and he's looking refreshed. I think he changed uh, his jogging suit. Uh, he, he may shake you down for money. Mike, how are you doing? I, I have dozens of those jogging suits uh, and I'm doing well. Good to be with you. I uh, look out Lex Vegas. Cause if you see this guy in a, in a track suit coming down, I mean, it's, it's time to, to head to Tennessee. I'll tell you that much. Um, Mike, we, first, the first part, which is some evergreen stuff, folks, go back, listen to it. Uh, some great information on just how you assess your game, looking back, um, some tips and ideas on, finding value, some really great stuff that I think is truly applicable. But this part centered on money management, because it's something that, you know, I think is uh, something you're passionate about uh, just from your life experience. And it's something that we got to think about as gamblers because um, gambling is a big part of this show and what we enjoy doing. Um, and, and it's really the main part. Uh, you know, it's 90% money management, it's 10%, you know, what's your bet. Uh, so Mike, uh, what what's the first thing we need to understand about what man money management is and how it's applicable to us? Well, I, you know, I think in any gambling game, the, the, the first thing you want to ask yourself is, is what do I want from racing or what do I want from my gambling game? So, you know, do you, are you trying to be a professional uh, gambler or at the other end of the spectrum, are you somebody that, that goes to the track once every couple of weeks and just wants to have some fun or bets a few games once in a while and wants to have some fun? Because well, the answer of how you manage money and how you proceed from there, it, they're entirely different, dependent upon, you know, what you want out of the game. So. I think that's the first question. And then the second question to me is what's your style? You know, can you, do you want to cash um, a bet three or four times a day, you know, or, or a small win or, or are you good with going long periods of time with no caches, but to, to score big when you do score, you know, everybody has a different outlook on that different. I think it depends upon your personality. So you need to ask yourself that and get a, you know, get comfortable with what your approach is going to be. Are you going to be betting, uh, you know, place and show bets, or are you going to be betting uh, the super high five or the pick six? Um, so, you know, that's the way it works in racing. And I'm sure it, you know, in sports betting, it probably has to do with parlays and things like that. How much risk do you want to take on? So, you know, just for instance, we've all gone to the track and, you know, we go, oh, we love this horse in the second race. You know what? I'm going to try and kill this thing. I'm going to murder their souls. All right. And uh, I've got an action bet here. So I'm going to make a $20 pick three. I'm, I'm putting 50 on, on the seven horse that we know is going to be a closer and going to win. And uh, before you know it, uh, the seven comes in second. I didn't bet place. Um, I'm out of the pick three. And now my $100 bankroll for the day is down to 10 bucks. And I'm looking at the ATM. What gets you out of that cycle? Because we've all been there. That's exactly the style that my dad had. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, I went to the track for... Um, you know, practically my whole life with my dad. And he taught me most of what I know about the, about the horses and a lot of what I know about gambling. And, uh, uh, th that was, you know, that was his style. It was balls to the wall, uh, you know, come in swinging guns blazing and, uh, you know, somebody's going to fall. 
Uh, and it, a lot of times it was him by the second or third race. So, uh, I, you know, one thing I learned through the years is I like to handicap the card, be prepared, have a good idea what of, of you know, of what opportunities there are throughout the card. And then I can kind of have a feel for uh, how much I want to commit early in the day. Uh, you know, and something that a lot of people don't think about, took me a while to figure out, is a good horse player will know more about the second half of the card than he will about the first half of the card. When the second half of the card rolls around, if you're paying attention and you're really serious about the game, you're going to know who the hot jockeys are, who the hot trainers are, how the track's playing, is speed holding, do you want to be outside, yada, yada, yada. You're going to have a feel for a lot of those things. So uh, I try to bet most of my money in the second half of the card. So something's got to look to draw me in for more than an action bet early in the day. There has to be a, a something I really see as an opportunity uh, where I think I have a, a, a serious edge in order for me to, you know, to get heavily involved early in a card because uh, I would rather wait and, and play late. So, and uh, in, in from personal experience, Saturday, uh, as folks are listening to this, possibly tomorrow, um, there's 138 basketball games, give or take, right? Uh, I'm sitting here and I have an opinion. I look at the card and I may have an opinion on 30, 35 games where I can sit there and go, you know, I have a lean in this. I might whittle that down to 15 or 10 that I really think are viable, playable, you know, but I always end up have, for the most part, having a losing Saturday because, you know, it's a, it, just like horses, you know, hey, that three-pointer didn't go in. This team uh, put in the subs a little bit too early because they were up 30, what have you. It, and I kind of find myself where I'm spread a little bit too thin. And you said something earlier this week about being 80% prepared at six tracks versus 100% at three tracks. How do those ideas kind of mix together into money management? Because there is no first half or second half of the card per se, as it is in horse racing, but in the sports gambling aspect, how do we divvy up? Uh, how do we, well, I guess, how do we make the deciding factor between a lean and a play? How do you, what is your process for that? And how can we adapt it? Well, I think that's one of the keys to success is being able to make those hard decisions, uh, that, that those hard decisions for me are, uh, you know, do I include this marginal horse in the pick five or do I leave it out? Do, can I single this horse or do I need to use both main contenders? You know, those are, are really important decisions because if I go from a single to using two horses equally, I've doubled my ticket. So big decisions and hard decisions sometimes, you know, you really have to, the, the, the more preparation you've done, the number one, the more time you have before the event to make the decision. And number two, the, I find that the uh, tough decisions, the longer I can kind of roll them around in my brain, the better decision I generally make. So for both those reasons, the preparation is key uh, in, in leading yourself to the right final decision. And then also, I, you know, I, I think just observation, it's, it's, it's absolutely necessary at the racetrack. And I'm just, this is, you know, I'm naive about the sports betting, but this is just something popping in my head, like football bowl, bowl games. Certain conferences seem to uh, dominate. Other conferences seem to just be rotten. And it's hard to tell before the bowl game starts. I'll tell start. you what, Mike, I got a real problem with your SEC. But continue. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing sometimes how that works out. Yeah. Except for Kentucky. So, yeah, well, I think that's an example of, yeah, we took care of our business. So, yeah, 
you know, we're not <laughs> that worried about the rest of the SEC. But, uh, you know, I think that is an example of how, you know, observation and making the last play, maybe it's better for, you know, to, to, to let some of the results occur before you make your biggest play, you know, so you, you know uh, what conferences are overperforming. Does that make any sense? To it, does. No, it does. No, it does. And especially but... bowl season, you make a great point because I think if you hopped on a certain bandwagon and said, okay, some of these SEC teams look like they are playing at 80%. I mean, of course, preparation speaks to that as well. You got to know what guys are sitting out. You need to read the what the beat writers are saying and have a good handle on things. So it does make sense. Um, I, I'll ask you this because, you know, you, there's a ton of books out there that speak about money management in the horse sense, um, horse racing sense. It's it's out there. And everybody's got a different system. Uh, you know, you'll see one guy, well, 100% of your bankroll, you, you know, on a given day, take 5%. And of that 5%, you're taking 25% to bet on horizontals you save 15%. And then by the end of it, you know, uh, I don't know what you're left with. Maybe, you know, just that book in your hand because you, you spend all your money. But uh, is there a tried and true thing for you where you would suggest like, you know, percentages or is it just as simple as bet what you can handle, stick to what, you, you know, if you brought a hundred bucks for the day, have fun but don't go to the ATM. Yeah, well, I, I have a friend that says, don't back up, stack up. So, the, you know, that's his game plan, but that doesn't work every time for me. So, uh, you know, I, when, I, when I'm at the track, I don't feel like my chances of winning are the same every day. You know, now where do I come up with that? I, I, I just think it's what tracks are running that day. Like if Keeneland's running, I've grown up in Lexington, Kentucky. I've been to Keeneland nearly every day they've run in my adult lifetime. So uh, I have a pretty good feel for that track. I have a better chance of winning on a day when Keeneland's gonna be my main focus than someday in the middle of the winter maybe when I'm trying to play whatever track didn't get canceled. So uh, I try to make a, a, an adjustment it gets a little complicated the way I do it, but it's just the way it evolved for me. But I, I look at my gambling bankroll as, as gambling chips and I'll play my limit for the day. The most I can lose will be between one and 10 chips for the day. So I just write that down at the beginning of the day. You know, it's a three chip day and that's what it was today. And uh, so then I know how to allocate my funds to make sure that, you know, on, on the races, I think I have the, the best ideas that I have most of my money, you know, at, uh, at risk in those races instead of, you know, in other places during the card. Now, when it's Derby Day and uh, uh, or Oaks Day or a big day at Keeneland and I'm totally prepared and I have a good feel for what's going on and my track record is good at those places, it may be a nine or 10 chip day and it usually is. So what I'm doing there in my mind anyway, is it's almost like counting cards. You know, I'm, I'm playing the most when I have the biggest edge. And that makes sense to me as a horse player. That's what I'm trying to do. You're, you're handicapping yourself. Exactly. That's exactly the way I stated it in the book. Yeah. So, um, um, it, you know, it, it's just taking, money management, I think, a little further than, than most people are used to. Um, it, then once you, you know, that's how I decide how much I'll risk each day. It, then the, the, the kind of the battle that I fight, uh, you know, in my own head is trying to walk the line with how I structure my bets between maintaining my bankroll, make sure I stay in the game. You know, that's, every gambler knows that, you know, that's job one is you can't blow your bankroll. You know, you have to be in the game. 
we probably all did that when we first started in whatever game we're in. But at this point in my career, I, you know, I can't, I can't afford to blow my bankroll. So uh, I have to make, I have to make job one, maintaining my bankroll, but within that structure of caution, I have to give myself a chance to make scores also. So uh, it sounds counterintuitive, but it really works because uh, you know, the way that I do it is, is I try to, to make the bulk of my bet be something that where my overall edge is, is helping me win for the race. So I'm trying to be as inclusive uh, with any value horse as I can. At the end of that process, I'm going to take the last, in the first part of that, I call lock it up bet. And then the last 10% of my money that I'm betting in that race is my kill bet. And that's where we're talking about the crush your soul, you know, may bring them to their knees. You know, <laughs> they're going to have to send for money if I hit this kind of bet. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you don't hit them very often, but you have to get paid when you're right. That's one thing about betting the horses. I see people make that mistake. They spread too much. And when they're exactly right, they win, but, but it's not significant enough. You know, I, I'm a firm believer that take that last five or 10% of whatever you're betting and, you know, dare, dare the race to run like you really see it and make that really make a difference in your day or your month or even your year if you, if you pick a race cold. So you've been at the track since they opened them up in 1874. <laughs> um, but it, you've seen a lot of, a lot of folks who haven't, practiced the money management or had losing streaks and, and we've had them ourselves you know um i heck i it, two weeks ago i was you know plus 20 percent uh roi in college basketball in the the most recent you know week and a half two weeks it's dipped down into where we're, we're looking at negative territory a little bit here um how do you adapt to losing streaks and what, what have you seen just firsthand? Uh, Cause I know you got a lot of stories and a lot of cautionary tales. How do we, how do we manage losing streaks? And, you know, what have you seen? What are the don'ts of, of money management uh, that you've seen? Well, um, almost everybody knows the number one don't, the number one don't is don't chase. And, but that's easily said and, and hard to execute. Um, and I've seen, you know, and, and most of us that have been around a racetrack or, you know, hung around a sports book have probably seen people crash and burn. And it's not something we, you know, we talk about a lot and it, it, but it's, it's real. Not every person is wired for serious gambling. Um, and now gambling is, is everywhere, you know, it's on our phones and it's, it's just going to become more and more part of life. And, and, you know, I, I, a couple of times in my life, I have, you know, but most of us at the track, we just see it going down. We see somebody spinning out of control and, you know, the kind of the, uh, the, the, the general uh, attitude at the track is, you know, is, is just let it happen. But uh, a couple of times in my life, I've, I've, seen it happening and tried to step in and, 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 uh, you know, catch somebody before, uh, they completely go off the edge and, uh, that, you know, it's hard to do, it's not easy, but, uh, you, you know, you, you can do it once in a while. So I try to, to speak about the dangers of gambling. I wrote about it in the book, um, cause there are, there's, there's serious danger to serious gambling. So everybody needs to, to be aware of that and, and to, you know, protect themselves against it. Um, losing streaks um, can be managed. They're not, you know, that's not comfortable. That's not a, a pleasant thing to go through, but I've been through uh, many losing streaks. I've been through a couple in my 22 years of doing this uh, for a living that, 
that you know brought me to my knees that that where i at the at, in in the at the end of those losing streaks i wasn't sure i could tell one end of that horse from the other you know they had humbled me to that to that degree so the the salvation for me was just swallowing my pride dropping my ego down a couple notches and getting small and getting small fast enough you know that that was the key for me is you know i'm talking about going from if if i was betting a thousand dollars a day to betting three hundred dollars a day to betting a hundred dollars a day to betting forty dollars a day you know to try to just stop the bleeding and that's it's hard to do and it feels you know, wrong when you're doing it kind of, but it's the only way to survive for, for me. I'm, you know, maybe other people have other ways. Like I've read good uh, gamblers talk about, you just play the same thing every day. You just, you, you know, you're just consistent with that and it all evens out. Well, I can't say that it doesn't. I just know that that's not the way it works for me. I have to um, you know, I, I'm, I'm so concerned with protecting the bankroll that my comfort zone is to, is to shut, to go from nine chips to one chip. And if I had to go to, to a third of a chip, I would usually I get it straightened out, you know, after a few one chip days, but, um, it, you know, it, the, uh, the best advice that I can give anyone is to, to not, you know, to not be afraid to make an adjustment early in a losing streak. If, if things aren't going your way, I mean, you can say, I, you know, I got DQ'd. If they would have left that horse up, I would have won for the day or for the week. I say, it's like Bill Parcell said, you are what your record says you are. <laughs> so that's the way I approach all my record keeping. I don't, I don't say if this or if that, Hey, if I'm, if I'm, two and four, I'm two and four. So um, building on that, I, you know, if I'm losing, I don't try to make excuses why I lost. I want to know why I lost and I'll dig into my betting records and try to figure it out. Sometimes it's just random though. Sometimes it's just the way things fall and it's going to happen. And it's, you know, it's a drawdown, uh, the financial guys say. And you have to, the key to it is, is being able to survive it and ride it out. And to me, the best way to do that is just get real small, real fast until it turns. And, and when it turns, what I always tell myself is all I need is, is, is three winners. And it doesn't have to be that I'm picking a cold winner, just three winning bets. And if I'm down to where I'm betting, you know, very, very small and I hit a bet, what I will do, and this is the other side of betting real small, what I'll do is just like run almost a parlay. I might take what I bet out or something, but then I'll, I'll be patient and I'll look for another good spot and I'll bet what I just won back into that spot because I'm betting super small. And if I hit that, the next bet I would make will really have me up and running again if I hit that third bet. So I'm always telling myself as I'm, which is, which helps me to, to get real small, real fast is, Hey, all I'm going to need to come out of this is just, you know, pick three races, right. And I'll be back, you know, I'll be big again. So that's the way I try to handle it. And it, you know, it's worked. And, you know, I, I think it's uh, sage advice and especially it, it's kind of hitting home with me and it's something, you know, it seems so elementary, but yet I feel like we have to, I, I remember I called you, uh, but man, maybe about seven, eight months ago. And I was like, Mike, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in a bad streak. I'm in a bad streak. Talk me through it. And you said very similar things and we get, okay, we're going to, we're going to draw down, but then you forget right? You, you know, you're, you, you forget this. And then it's like, you got to come back to it. Winding down, what's the thing? What is the ethos for you? What is, 
what is the thing that keeps you driving uh, as a professional? Uh, the thing that you always come back to is it, is it checking yourself, always doing those, those uh, mental check-ins? Am I, am I handicapping myself? Is it as simple as that? Is that something that we need to be doing every day? Or is it something else entirely that, uh, that your process revolves around? You know, the, the, the last question, this is probably the, the thing that, that maybe helps me as much as anything. Before I hit send, I'm doing most of my betting from my home office now. The last thing I do before I hit send is I say, are you getting value? Is this really a spot you need to be in? And, you know, maybe 10% of the time, I don't push the button. I just pass. And it could be the last flash. You know, I didn't like the, you know, the odds dropped a little bit on me or I'm watching the will pays and, and, uh, or the probables and the exacta was paying, you know, 32 and now it's paying 24, you know, and I, and I just decided not to push the button. And those bets are rarely winners. And I don't know why it is, but I guess that's a little bit of intuition that I've gained over the years. But that's a lot of money at the end of the year, you know, just making sure that you got you have real value there before you make your play. And I would think it would be the same way in sports. Gambling is tough. They're not giving any money away at these gambling joints, whether it's, you know, ball games or horses or whatever you want to bet. So, you know, a guy, you know, doesn't need to be throwing himself in the middle of that takeout unless he's got a reason to. So, you know, that's, that, that's my approach. And it's, I need to do more of that. That's one of my goals is to be even tighter with my, with my play. I, th I think it's, it's, we're reaching, it's like, uh, like the Buddhists uh, reaching for self-sufficiency here. <laughs> um, I, I think we're going to keep climbing that mountain. Mike, I can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, part one earlier this week, great stuff. This, uh, folks, rewind, come back to this. This is stuff that is applicable to not only horse racing, but sports and just, or even heck, the roulette table. I mean, it's just applicable everywhere. Um, Mike, what, what do you got planned up in the near future? You'll be on PTF show. I mean, I love listening to you when you go on there. Or, are you just living in the palatial estate, doing the ducktails thing, jumping off into the gold, uh, you know, medallions or whatever? You know, they, I, I'm always just thinking about like my next meal stew. I, you know, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just waiting to see like the next time I can order pizza or, uh, you know, do I have to eat another salad tonight? So that's what my, that's what my day focuses around. I, I have no plans to, uh, to get on uh, uh, anywhere, uh, uh, I don't do much of that anymore. It's pretty much uh, whenever I hear from my man PTF and whenever you call, because uh, you're my boys and uh, and I'm rolling with you. I'm much obliged. You know, we're gonna have to talk one day. It turns out Michigan State and Kentucky are uh, we're getting into a heated. There was a heated Twitter battle between really? Michigan State fans and Kentucky fans. Kentucky got a super amazing offensive tackle. Uh, and it was between Kentucky and Michigan state and we, we were grinding for it. So, uh, you know, you go tell coach Merrow, you go, you go tall, talk to coach Stoops, just tell him Michigan state's coming. Tuck, <laughs> Tuck is coming. You haven't seen the last of us. Well, you know, we have a pretty good history with a developing offensive lineman here. So, uh, oh, you got a winner. This kid is going to slot in. He's going to be a NFL right. player. This kid is a stud, absolute stud. And, Sounds cool. And, and you guys, you you know, you'll find somebody else. You'll you know, there'll be there'll be a, a guy weighs about a buck eighty, and and you can beef <laughs> him up, and he'll you'll make him work. Yeah, he'll be he'll be from uh, Ishpeming, Michigan. He'll be a uh, one star. One rhombus, maybe. Uh, also, uh, speaking of sports, I can't let you go without, you know, 
you're a Reds guy. Yeah. Kentucky basketball's in season. You know, Cleveland Browns. Don't forget my brownies. Uh, are they still a football team? I don't know. I have to check in. Um, we're, we're, having, we're having surgeries. We're going to be good to go next year. What What are you looking forward to uh, sports wise coming up? Is it this Kentucky team looks like it, it's a? I told you before the season I was real high on them. Is yeah. it? Is it the red season coming back? I mean, Jonathan India is a stud. Uh, this red team has got some talent on it, and the NL Central looks like it's it's there it's there for taking. Um, what are you excited about from a sports perspective? You know, I'm kind of excited about this Kentucky basketball team. Like you said, I you know I think they have for the first time in several years we've been lacking good point guard play here for several years. And uh, I think Wheeler's going to provide that. Ty Ty Washington. Ty Ty can 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 uh, do some of that in a in a in a backup point guard role, or you know, fill in for a few minutes. But you know, I think you I think good teams have a dedicated point guard and a guy that can distribute and a guy that can run the offense. And and Wheeler's doing that. And you know, my man. My man inside is oh, gee, uh, he's, he's cleaning some serious glass. You know, so. he's rated the the number one most efficient best player in the country. Like an analyt, analytics say he is the best most efficient player in the entire country. And it's I mean, not particularly close. Yeah. Well, you know, the only the only th- way you can possibly fault him is when he uh when he misses a, a putback and but he gets the rebound and then puts it back, <laughs> then puts it in. So he's just padding the sheet a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you know, yeah. The old the Dennis Rodman. <clears throat> he's getting the numbers right. Uh, uh, but you know, it seems like we we've got in uh, the the kid Grady that uh, mm-hmm. that transferred in. He can really shoot the ball. Uh, opens up the floor a little bit. So it looks like Kentucky has all the pieces. Uh, stay healthy you know, have a little luck. And uh, I think, you know, they can, they can make a run. I, I think they're 12 or 14 to one, may, possibly a little bit higher uh, in the futures markets. I, I don't know. Maybe that's a four or five, six chip uh, thing to, to take a yeah. look at. I, I'd, I'd say they'll, they may struggle with, uh, with teams that have multiple good big men, you know, teams that have, that are, you know, that are strong and big, inside because past uh Shibway, we basically you know we don't have a lot of meat inside you know after him and and you know, guys like that if they've got two or three bigs to deal with guys like oscar can end up in foul trouble and you know in in the postseason and and that's how i think that's how we get beat but uh, hopefully we don't run into that team Folks, get ready. Mike Maloney, college basketball analyst. He's given up the horse racing. I'm happy I could break that here today. Mike, mm-hmm. always a pleasure, my friend. We'll catch you soon. I know I'm, you're going to be on again, and maybe maybe we'll we'll talk about the Derby or we'll talk about Keelan. We'll have something going. Uh, so from talking to an actual professional analyst, we got Craig Mokowski coming up. He's going to be talking about Oklahoma City, the Thunder, it's, and some horses. It's again, sorry we couldn't get David ever going. Uh, but anyway, Mike, I will talk to you soon, my friend. Coming up after a short break, our friend Craig Mulkowski. Hello, Derby fans. This is Tom Gallo with Dream Maker Racing, proud sponsor of the Stewcast. Have you ever dreamed of getting your picture taken in the winter circle at racetracks like Saratoga and Belmont Park? Let us get you there through our incredible racehorse partnerships that have been built on years of experience in the industry. Dreammaker Racing is the premier partnership in New York, running New York Reds in the state of New York. From our on-site hospitality, excellent owner communication and overall incredible experience, We have been able to serve people from all over the world for nearly two decades and get them crazy about horse racing. Stop by our website today, dreammakerracing.com, for more information. We can make your racing dreams come true. Now back to the show.
All right. I may have said that I wish I was talking to David Aragona, but I take it back because my friend Craig Mokowski said something very nice to me. And now Craig's above David Aragona. In fact, I will tell David, you know, just name it the Craig Mokowski show because he's the best. He's my friend from Timeform US. Craig, how are you, man? How's things? Things are good, man. It finally warmed up. We went through freezing cold and had a snowstorm, but it was actually in the 60s today, nice and warm. So I got out, hit some, did some practicing on the tennis court. And yeah, life, life is pretty good here. We, we got 60s this weekend, and then next week we're supposed to get snow. I never looked that far ahead in Oklahoma because <laughs> it, it's just a waste of time. Yeah, I mean, and tornadoes could come at any moment. Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt could drive up with Dorothy in your front yard. It's not good. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's a, a classic uh, around here, but I, I've only seen bits and parts because, you know, I've kind of lived it, so. <laughs> well, Hardly we had a pretty yet. bad one here about five or six years ago. So, uh, yeah, I've seen enough of that. When they blow the sirens, I go in the shelter and wait for the all clear. Yeah, it's uh, that's just got to be the most pleasant time ever. Um, <laughs> well, you know, you're a true Oklahoman when you're hanging out on your porch till the last second, just watching. Yeah. Watching. <laughs> the storm roll in and then we all make a big run for it. But luckily <laughs> so far, nothing's ever come here. I'm actually in a house that was rebuilt after a uh, tornado took it out in 1999. I think it was rebuilt in 2003 or something, but yeah, I live right through a road that was, was wiped out, but we've been spared with the last several big ones. So hopefully that, that will not happen. We haven't had any, anything too serious. And I guess it's probably been five or six years, maybe more, seven years. So fingers crossed we keep it going. Yes, it's it's not a, a fun sight, certainly. But what is a fun sight is is the ponies running around in circles here. I, I'll say this. I think your Twitter, not trying to blow smoke up your skirt here by any means, but I think your Twitter is actually pretty damn good for like, some, I mean, if you like dry humor, uh, it's there in spades. And you make some really funny points, but you also got some really solid, solid stuff uh, analytically. And I saw something recently and I wanted to pick your brain about it because like I was telling you, me and Mike uh, Maloney were talking about this. Santa Anita chalk fest but it, when you peel back the numbers uh from this past weekend what did you see uh well the main thing that got me looking i mean you know in time form us we we give ratings and we kind of rate courses as speed biased or not but everybody saw the two monster performances from the two bob baffert three-year-olds the uh the philly and the colt uh they ran gigantic speed figures but one thing I looked at is some other horses did as well, ran big speed figures this weekend. And it seemed like the track was favoring speed, but uh, I'm kind of, you know, I'm definitely a numbers guy. So I kind of had to pull up the charts and I looked at all the dirt races. I forget exactly how many there were. I think it was in the mid teens and something I don't think I've ever seen before for the entire weekend, Friday through Sunday, which is what they run now three days a week. There wasn't a single horse that won who was ever further back that's been second at any of the points of calls in a race, be a quarter mile, half mile, all the way to the stretch, whatever. Every horse was either first or second at some point in the race, mostly first out of the uh, 50 points of call in the various races, 35 times the horse was leading and 15, they were in second. So, I mean, it, it is something, you know, if bias was that easy, you, you we'd all probably be rich. Uh, we, of course that doesn't work because it's a paramutual game, but you know what I'm saying? N nothing's ever as easy as it seems on paper. And when you look at the races, as you say, it was just a huge chalk fest, lots of big favorites won, but there were a couple long shots. Unfortunately, one of them that one got disqualified in a really questionable call. I didn't particularly agree with, but was able to hold off a, a different Bob Baff Baffert monster and still win. And I just think watching the races visually and looking at the numbers, 
it was just no way the closers were going to win. So I think you kind of got to take some of those winners. You got to downgrade them a little bit and then watch the replay and, and upgrade some horses you thought were probably going to run better and just didn't show up because I think they had a, a valid excuse with that racetrack. With time form, and you guys mentioned the speed bias part, and we, we've talked about this like a, a while back in our archives. Um, how, how do you guys get there when you're deciding if there was a bias, it was, if it was against uh, speed, um, do you take the rail into account? Because like at Aqueduct, I mean, it's been dead rails and versus, uh, you know, golden outsides. How do you formulate your opinions and what you're going to put down? Well, what we put in time form US, we actually are just looking if it's a speed or a closer bias. We don't try to do inside and outside. Uh, we just don't have that data provided to us. You have to watch replays, kind of make that determination on your own. Maybe someday that'll happen. You'll be able to get the charts and see that the horses that traveled more ground did better, but we just don't have it now. So ours are just largely based on running style and position in the field during the race. We kind of look at the distance of all the races because obviously a, a front runner is a lot more likely to win a five furlong race than a, a 10 furlong race. Um, we look at the odds of the horses. A, a three to five going wire to wire is a lot more likely to happen than a 10 to one. So we kind of take all those things into account before the card is run. We project the number, a formula we have for the positions of the winners, and then we compare it to what actually happens. And depending how big the gap is, is where when we decide to use a, a bias rating or not. So for those Santa Anita days we had uh, Friday, we actually didn't have enough data. So there is no rating at all because they're, they're running a lot on turf. So Southern California has obviously changed a little bit. Uh, they used to be mostly dirt, but you know, necessity to try to get some fields are running a lot more turf races. Uh, but the, the two days that we did have enough data, Saturday and Sunday, it was just uh, the number came out a lot, lot higher than what we projected. So we show it in bright red as highly speed favoring racetracks and just tell you to kind of, you know, keep that in mind when you're looking at these races that they probably had an impact on the result. Hopefully you're listening, Tyler Hoffman. Uh, this guy, you know, he makes it to one NHC. You never hear the end of it. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's get after, uh, just talk about Saturday, Tampa Bay. Sam F. Davis Stakes Day. And look, you know, you kind of teed me up for it. Uh, we'll get to the Sam F. Davis, but man, that is some of the, you know, smaller stakes, middle of the card, you look through and you go, uh, real hard to find something you like that's not a short, short price. Was there anything that grabbed your eye? I mean, you and David are phenomenal on the show for trying to find value and just trying to put some things together, but you're also very quick to just chalk it up and say, hey, uh, yeah, there's, it's just probably not here. What do you think about some of these middle, smaller stakes in the card on Saturday? Yeah, I'm looking forward to the Davis because it's wide open, but to me, nothing really jumped out in these earlier stakes races. Uh, race six, I think it's for four-year-old fillies. There is a horse I actually like in there, the two-horse nightcap which I'm guessing you've had a few of in your day when you, you've closed down a bar or two, uh, when, when you were a single man, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's what we do in the Army. The Air Force goes in, uh, you know, to their studies and, you know, sips brandy. <laughs> but uh, I'll be honest, the horse has a 7-2 to two morning line. I, I don't buy that morning line at all. So I'm not getting too excited about that one. I'd be surprised if the horse is more than about eight to five. If she is, I would better. Otherwise, I'm going to turn the page because I, I didn't see a whole lot in that race. Uh, the seventh race, the only reason I want to see it is because Baby Yoda's in there. Uh, he's six to five on the morning line. He's probably going to be two to five if, uh, if that much. He comes out of a second in the Malibu behind Flightline, everybody's next greatest horse to ever run. <laughs> uh, even though he was beating 11 lengths, uh, he, he still ran a nice speed figure. So mostly I just want to see him. He's kind of been an in and out horse. He's thrown in some real conkers and he, he's run some real big numbers. But 
there's nothing else in this field that would make me jump up and want to bet. King Guillermo, a, a warrior from the Triple Crown Trail of years past, uh, didn't quite make it to the big race, but he doesn't seem to be the horse he used to be. So this is one I'm just going to kind of watch as more of a, uh, a fan of the sport, see what happens. Then you have the Sun Coast, which is kind of the counterpart to the Sam Davis for the three-year-old Phillies. And there's a three to five morning line shot in there, uh, Nest, who is shipping in from New York for Todd Pletcher. And I have no interest trying to beat that horse whatsoever. Uh, not trying to bet on it, but there, there's just nothing in there for me. I, I'm sure some people could make a case for some of the others, but I'm not going to try to do it. I, I'm all about, you know me on the show. If there's a favorite I, I think I want to take on, uh, I will do it in a heartbeat, but this just isn't one of them. Well, so I take it just based on what you said earlier, when we get to the CMF Davis, that might be a different story and, and you might be willing to take on some favorites here. Um, as I see it, the morning line favorite, correct me if I'm wrong, classic Causeway, Brian Lynch, um, and I read teaming up on this one. Um, is it, is this more about the field or that maybe classic Causeway is, you know, a little vulnerable? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a big field, so you're never going to get much more than a, a, about a three to one or five to two morning line. You'd have to ask your previous buddy, uh, David Aragona, who you've now divorced. Oh, yeah, um, he's, he's completely dead to me um, yeah. just because you're so nice. Yeah, he's the morning line expert, but uh, Classic Causeway's fine. I, I understand why he's favored. He ran huge the first time out, but he's admittedly been a bit disappointing since then, and, and I think it's a pretty contentious field. So I'm definitely going to try to take him on. This is a race where Timeform US sees a lot of early speed uh, on the pace projector. We got some you know, maiden winners stretching out. We got plenty of horses who have showed speed uh, in allowance and stakes races. So I don't, I don't disagree. So I, I'm going to look for more of a come behind horse, which um, there's a few in here. There's a few different directions you could go. But the one I landed on is Golden Glider, the four horse coming in for Mark Cassie. Uh, he's two for two. He comes from the clouds. Uh, he broke his maiden at Woodbine on the synthetic. He came back at Tampa in an allowance race and just overpowered the field. Uh, he was four to five that day, but it was just a paid workout. Uh, I don't think you're going to get the 12 to one. I mean, everybody's seen those races, but if I got half of that, I, I'm going to be betting on that. I think he's got a good setup, and, and I think he's got more in the tank than what we've seen. I mean, folks, you might be hearing this first, but Craig says, hey, bet responsibly, but mortgage your house, put it on the four. It's, it's golden. Uh, it's a golden glider. Um, and I appreciate you telling the folks to bet responsibly there too, Craig. Bet responsibly, folks, bet your bet your mortgage, put your mortgage on this one. Um, <laughs> there was a time I didn't bet very responsibly, but that's because I was a single Air Force guy with nothing to do with my money. So, all you know, 34, all $34 you got a month. And some days I was eating at the Sizzler, other days I was using the meal card at the, the Chow Hall. You know, it just depended so, on how things went at Garden State Park that week. <laughs> so some days you, you you were eating some rations. Yeah. Wait, no, that's a joke. The Air Force doesn't get rations. Now nah, we do the MREs, man. I've probably no, you never had to do an MRE, like you basic training more. MRE. No, brother, you don't have any idea how much time I spent in the field. <laughs> I was in, in civil engineering and then combat communications. There ain't I, uh, no air conditioning out in the Middle East. Yeah, there is. When you put up tents, there is. Trust me, I, I was the expert on field air conditioners. I'll tell you what, Craig Mokowski, the Air Force, they, they don't go anywhere without their AC and their chairs. <laughs> that is true. They, that and, is wonderful. And their chairs. Uh <laughs> Eclipses tonight as we uh, wrap up. Uh, you're a voter. I'll, I'll ask you just straight up because, you know, some people treat him like he's Pol Pot, like, uh, you know, he's he's about to invade Ukraine or something. And other people are, you know, quick to uh, support him and, and, and say he's great for the game. 
it, it, where do you stand on Baffert, uh, best trainer? You know, where do you go with it? How do you treat it? I, w- I will be honest. Uh, when I got into horse racing, for me, it's always been about the horses. I, I, I just don't get into the human connections, be it trainers or jockeys or owners. And it probably hurts me a little bit in my handicapping sometimes, but at other times I think it helps me because those things all get bet probably more heavily than they should, I would say. As far as Bob Baffert, honestly, I'm tired of hearing about him. <laughs> I know some, some people may not like that. Some people might love it. At this point, I, I just don't care. I think he's just the kind of publicity he's getting is not good. They say any, any publicity is good public publicity. I don't to buy a point, it. I don't, yeah, I would agree. I, I, I feel like he's stretching that at this point. Yeah. There's nothing good about the Bob Baffert situation for horse racing. So I just want it to be over with, get this Kentucky meeting over with next week, I guess, get the, the New York thing over with and, Let's figure out who's going to be running in the Kentucky Derby, whether it's his horses or not his horses. I'm going to handicap the race one way or the other and try to pick the winner. It'll be a better race if the horses his, he trains are in it. But if they're not, if, if he's not allowed to run and the owners don't want to move it, it's still going to be a good race. So whatever works uh, for, for Bob Baffert is fine for him, and I'm just going to keep doing what I do. Uh, I, the Eclipse Awards are going to have aired um, or are airing currently. Uh, did you have a, are you allowed to divulge like what your pick was for Horse of the Year or is it? Oh, un- yeah, yeah. I, I put my vote on Twitter way back when, when I turned it in sometime last month. I'm, I'm a procrastinator, so I think I put it up the day of. Uh, I wanted to get those early January stakes into my votes. No, just kidding. But I don't see how anyone's not going to vote for Nick's go for horse of the year. If they didn't, they should should probably have their vote taken away because the Pegasus didn't count. It was long over by then. And he basically did everything you could ask of a horse last year. So um, I I, I like voting for the Eclipse Awards. I, I think it's an honor. I'm happy to do it. And I take it seriously. And once I'm done with the vote, I'll pretty much just wait to, to read who won tomorrow because I'm not going to spend the time watching it. You know me, I'm a sports nut. Racing, uh, I kind of do it during the day and, and make my speed figures, have RTN in the background. And come about 4.30, 5 o'clock, the computer gets shut down and it's time for other sports for me. So maybe I'm a little different because I, I work and, you know, it's I work it with horse racing. It's so many hours and I don't want to fill it up my, my spare time as well. I, I completely feel you. I mean, that's it, what you're saying, too, I think is like feels like you know some folks treat it like it's a cult like the uh, horse racing is the only game in town um oh, yeah. Yeah, anybody I, follows I, my twitter knows I, I will watch anything where they keep score uh short of i, I just i can't do the cornhole or the axe throwing anything else i'm gonna the watch an opinion yeah, it, it, craig i know you got the ocho up there yeah I, i've watched a little tag have you seen the tag <laughs> on espn I, yeah, I've I have seen those people running around and jumping bars. I'll watch it See, for 10 it, it minutes. Look, I'm looking for some betting lines on it because I want to bet it. Yeah, I want to bet it. Know. We can't. I assume you're the same. We have no sports betting here, but uh, oh no, we have it. Oh, right now I'm deeply enthralled by Houston Baptist uh, Northwestern State over. I took ah. the over in that game. See, I don't bet the games that like you can watch and every team sh- everybody knows. I, I like to bet the very obscure. Give me this is like uh oh the Derby's running today. Oh, that's cool. I'm running uh there's a big 5k claimer up at Finger Lakes that I'm uh working right now. That's money <laughs> in the crumbs, money in the crumbs. I gotta uh, tell you, the sports betting, a friend of mine who did work for DRF. He, he recently took another position, but he said it best. Uh, sports sports wagering, if you're going to watch the games, it's like having to endure a three-hour inquiry. Uh, I learned that when I was betting sports in Vegas. 
tune in for about the last three minutes and you're good. You either, you either by then, you know, you won, you know, you're lost or you're going to have a fun ride. But I, I couldn't handle that for watching every single game I bet for three hours at a time. Maybe oh. it's the racing in me where two minutes and it's over and, and you, you know, you're, you're good to go, but man, that that's pretty stressful. I mean, it can be, but, uh, you know, I, I think for me, it's it's more about I, I enjoy the games. So if I have some money on them, I'm pulling for a team, but it's like, eh. Yeah, you know, I hear you. Loses, I mean, I'm the same. Yeah. I watch sports because I love sports, not to bet them. Uh, that, that's, that's just me. You know I what mean, is fun? Go, go to a game live. Like, I uh, went to a Caps game with some buddies and you can bet at the caps game so we we i bet my red wings and and my buddies bet their caps and the wings won in overtime just one of those things you hate to see but yeah you can go in and cash your tickets and and you can bet on the game and you get your ticket i mean it's fun it's great yeah that's awesome and you that's know where I'm it's going yeah, you know I'm a Caps fan, so why not? I've been to many a Caps game, but I wasn't able to bet back when I was going. Yeah, not now it's now it's nicely set up. Um, last question before we uh, hop off the line here. Been asking this to you, to Matt Bernier, to Nikki the boss. At this point, I know we still got the big preps to come. Is there a horse that you you really really like? coming up for the uh for the derby is there one that you got a feeling that like is definitely going to end up on a ticket should it make it into the game i i hate to disappoint you but i absolutely do not nor do i ever for for the derby have a pick in the early february it, it just i've been down this road too many times i used to get a derby horse i don't think i ever got one right or either <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to remember and, and I'm coming up short. I've, I've had some good days on the Derby, uh, but they were things I decided within a few days. I, I'm just not one to look ahead. I, I love these prep seasons because I think they're great betting races. You have improving horses who, as a speed figure guy, you bet the top figure, you're going to lose money. Uh, no doubt about it. And anybody will tell you that. Uh, but in these prep races, you can kind of project horses are going to run a lot faster than they have been doing. I think it's a lot tougher to do, and, and I think it can be rewarding. So I just take it week by week and, and prep by prep and, and try to go that way. And come uh, the, about 10 minutes after the Oaks finishes, I'll probably start handicapping the Derby. My man, I love that. Uh, folks, time for U.S. Pace Cast available wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Craig and David are, I mean, it's actually, it's, it's pretty much one of the very few horse racing podcasts I will listen to. Cause you guys like break it off quickly, efficiently. And like it, more often than not, like I, I'd be, I'd be shocked if there was another show out there that has a better ROI um on on the way you guys analyze the races so uh please check that out please support these guys craig mokowski my friend it's it's so good to see you again thank you for joining yeah always fun man you know anytime i, I will work it out this one took some scheduling because um i tried to avoid you but i just wasn't able to do it you wore me down well you dry, you dropped me for uh you dropped me for some uh courtside lakers tickets so i mean i like like, oh, no, I can't do it. I, I got uh, tickets, Lakers game, you know, Golden State. <laughs> That's tickets to the Thunder game. We, we don't call it the Lakers game here. Oh, really? City. It's the Thunder game. Oh, that's 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 impressive. You're actually calling it the home. Okay. That's cool. Um, so the Thunder game, uh, you know, will you uh, at, at this point being an honorary season ticket holder at this point, um yeah you got to show up to the games got to support the team yeah what's their we record what's their record by the way it's uh better than the pistons let's keep it that way uh <laughs> all right craig uh thank you again 
Mike Maloney, thank you. Hope you folks enjoyed this next week. Uh, we'll come right back after it. Uh, still trying to run down some folks. Uh, folks owe me some uh, favors, so I'm going to call them in. Um, until next time, have a great weekend. Good luck at the track, and we'll see you next week.